This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of internal impingement from the shoulder and elbow section on orthobullets.com. Internal impingement is a cause of shoulder pain in overhead athletes caused by repetitive impingement of the undersurface of the rotator cuff. Treatment with physical therapy and posterior capsule stretching is effective for most. With respect to the epidemiology, internal impingement is a major cause of shoulder pain in throwing and overhead athletes. With respect to the pathophysiology, as far as the mechanism, impingement occurs during maximum arm abduction and external rotation during late cocking and early acceleration phases of throwing. Again, impingement occurs during maximum arm abduction and external rotation during late cocking and early acceleration phases of throwing. This causes what's known as the peelback phenomenon of the posterosuperior labrum by the biceps. Again, Internal impingement causes what's known as the peelback phenomenon of the posterior superior labrum by the biceps. With respect to the pathoanatomy, internal impingement is caused by repetitive impingement of the posterior undersurface of the supraspinatus tendon at the greater tuberosity. Pathologic micromotion of the humeral head allows the rotator cuff to become impinged between the humeral head and the glenoid. In contrast to subacromial or external impingement, which occurs on the bursal side of the rotator cuff. Again, internal impingement is in contrast to subacromial or external impingement, which occurs on the bursal side of the rotator cuff. Internal impingement covers a spectrum of injuries, including fraying of the posterior rotator cuff, otherwise known as the supraspinatus infraspinatus interval, posterior and superior labral lesions hypertrophy and scarring of the posterior capsule of the glenoid, otherwise known as a Bennett lesion, and cartilage damage at the posterior glenoid. The etiology of internal impingement is secondary to tightness of the posterior band of the inferior glenohumeral ligament and or anterior microinstability. Associated conditions with internal impingement includes glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, slap tears, and six scapula as well as dyskinesia. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. For a comprehensive review of the glenohumeral joint anatomy, please listen to the podcast about glenohumeral joint anatomy, stabilizers, and biomechanics. But in this review, we'll quickly go over glenohumeral stability as well as the rotator cuff. With respect to glenohumeral stability, we'll talk about static restraints and dynamic restraints. Static restraints include the glenohumeral ligaments, the glenoid labrum, articular congruity and version, as well as negative intraarticular pressure. Dynamic restraints include the rotator cuff muscles, the biceps, and periscapular muscles. With respect to the rotator cuff, the primary function is dynamic stability and centering the humeral head within the glenoid via balancing the force couples about the glenohumeral joint in both the coronal and transverse planes, creating a stable fulcrum. Again, the rotator cuff's primary function is dynamic stability and centering the humeral head within the glenoid via balancing the force couples about the glenohumeral joint in both the coronal and transverse planes, creating a stable fulcrum. In the coronal plane, the inferior rotator cuff, that is the infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis, balances the superior moment of the deltoid. In the transverse plane, the anterior cuff, that is the subscapularis, balances the posterior moment of the posterior cuff, that is the infraspinatus and the teres minor. The goal of treatment in rotator cuff tears is to restore this equilibrium in all planes. With respect to the classification of internal impingement, no formal classification schemes exist. With respect to the presentation of internal impingement, 
patients typically have symptoms of shoulder pain, sometimes localized posteriorly. These patients may have diffuse pain in the posterior shoulder along the posterior deltoid, and shoulder pain may be worse with throwing, especially during late cocking and early acceleration. Physical exam in these patients should involve inspection, range of motion testing, strength assessment, and provocative tests. With inspection, you may see retroversion of the proximal humerus as well as pain with palpation along the infraspinatus. Range of motion testing may reveal increased external rotation and decreased internal rotation, specifically loss of greater than 20 degrees of internal rotation at 90 degrees compared to the contralateral shoulder. Keep in mind that you must stabilize the scapula to get a true measure of the glenohumeral rotation. Finally, in internal impingement patients, you will see preservation of the total arc of motion. On strength testing in internal impingement patients, you can often demonstrate rotator cuff weakness. Specific provocative tests for internal impingement include the Whipple test and the apprehension test. The Whipple test is performed to test for partial supraspinatus tears. It's performed by ranging the shoulder in forward flexion, adduction, and scapular retraction, and is positive when pain is reproduced on resistance. The apprehension test is positive for internal impingement. This is performed by bringing the shoulder into maximal external rotation, abduction, and extension. The test is positive if posterior shoulder pain is reproduced in this position and relieved when the arm is brought into neutral extension slash flexion. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a complete shoulder series. As far as findings, these are usually unremarkable. However, the AP may show a Bennett lesion that is exostosis of the postero-inferior glenoid. An MRI or MR arthrogram can show pathology of the rotator cuff and or labral pathology, such as partial articular-sided supraspinatus infraspinatus tendon avulsion, otherwise known as a pasta lesion. It can also show fraying or tears in the rotator cuff. In the setting of internal impingement on MRI or MR arthrogram, there may be a signal at the greater tuberosity and or the posterosuperior labrum. As far as optional views on an MRI or MR arthrogram, the ABER position, that is abduction and external rotation, reproduces the position of impingement showing a dynamic process on the humerus and the glenoid sides. Treatment of internal impingement can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes physical therapy, cessation from throwing, as well as posterior capsule stretching. As far as indications, this is the first line of treatment, and most internal impingement can be treated non-operatively. Operative treatment should only be considered if the patient has failed adequate physical therapy for an extended period of time, as results following operative intervention are unpredictable. Operative options for internal impingement include arthroscopic debridement of the rotator cuff and or labrum, arthroscopic versus mini open rotator cuff and or labral repair, and posterior capsule release versus anterior capsular stabilization. Indications for an arthroscopic debridement of the rotator cuff and or labrum is failure of non-operative treatment and partial thickness rotator cuff tears or pasta lesions that compromise the integrity of the rotator cuff, for example, partial rotator cuff tears that are less than 50%. Other indications include Bennett lesions and a peel-back labral lesion. Indications for arthroscopic versus mini open rotator cuff and or labral repair is a partial tear greater than 50% tendon thickness or full thickness tears, as well as unstable labral tears. A posterior capsule release versus an anterior capsular stabilization is indicated for persistent posterior capsule contracture or anterior shoulder instability in addition to any of the pathology that we just listed.
Now let's go over some of these treatment techniques in a bit more detail. We'll talk about physical therapy, cessation from throwing and posterior capsule stretching, arthroscopic debridement of the rotator cuff tear and or labrum, arthroscopic versus mini open rotator cuff repairs, and posterior capsular releases versus anterior stabilization. With respect to PT, cessation from throwing, and posterior capsular stretching, as far as cessation, this refers to a break from throwing until the pain is subsided, followed by supervised return to throwing, focusing on proper mechanics. Therapy involves a posterior capsular stretching program, for example sleeper stretches, as well as rotator cuff strength balancing, scapular stabilization, and kinetic chain coordination. Stretching is typically done for six months. Outcomes of non-operative management is correlated with compliance to the therapy regimen. With respect to arthroscopic debridement of the rotator cuff tear and or labrum, diagnostic arthroscopy involves performing a meticulous exam under anesthesia to assess range of motion, as well as diagnostic arthroscopy intraarticularly and subacromially. Debridement will involve the arthroscopic shaver to debride loose tissue edges. This option allows accelerated rehabilitation and return to throwing and has shorter post-op immobilization time. With respect to an arthroscopic versus mini open rotator cuff repair, as far as the approach, an arthroscopic approach has the advantage of addressing labral and other intraarticular pathology. An acromioplasty involves a bursectomy performed to visualize the bursal side of the tendon. However, keep in mind that an acromioplasty is not indicated if there is no bursal-sided pathology seen. A cuff repair involves abrasive preparation of the greater tuberosity footprint, a portal of Wilmington is usually necessary, and in the setting of a partial thickness tear, in-situ trans-tendinous repair is a pulley technique utilizing suture anchors to reduce the tendon to the tuberosity and will functionally shorten the tendon length. Another option is to complete the partial tear followed by an anatomic repair technique in a single or double row repair fashion. Finally, with respect to the labrum, make sure to prepare the glenoid rim and then repair the unstable labral tear. With respect to a posterior capsular release versus anterior stabilization, as far as a posterior release, this is done adjunctively with the procedures that we just mentioned. A cautery wand or an arthroscopic shaver is used to release the synovium and capsular tissues, and keep in mind that there is a risk of axillary nerve injury. With respect to an anterior stabilization, this is also done adjunctively with the procedures that we just mentioned, and a capsular plication is the most common form of an anterior stabilization. Some complications to be aware of include progression to a full thickness rotator cuff tear, a delayed rate of return to play, and an axillary nerve injury. With respect to progression to a full thickness rotator cuff tear, there is a small risk of partial tears treated with debridement alone. With respect to delayed rate of return to play, there are worse rates following rotator cuff repairs in throwing athletes. And finally, as far as axillary nerve injuries, this is at risk during a posterior release at the inferior border of the infraspinatus. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, Internal impingement of the shoulder and posterior superior labral pathology in throwers has been most clearly associated with which of the following? And the choices are 1. Posterior capsular contracture 2. Anterior capsular laxity 3. Coracoacromial arch stenosis 4. Rotator cuff disease and 5. Bennett's lesion The correct answer to this question is 1. Posterior capsular contracture 
So posterior capsular contracture has been recognized to be the primary pathologic process resulting in internal impingement. Internal impingement of the shoulder describes contact between the posterior superior glenoid labrum and the undersurface of the rotator cuff at the level of the posterior supraspinatus when the shoulder comes into abduction and external rotation. This contact may be physiologic or pathologic and is frequently seen in overhead throwing athletes, possibly resulting in articular sided rotator cuff tears, glenoid labral tears, tendonitis of the long head of the biceps, anterior instability, glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, and dysfunction of scapular rhythm. Non-surgical management is the initial treatment of choice with an emphasis on increasing range of motion and improving scapular mechanics. Anterior capsular laxity may be present with internal impingement but is variable and less directly associated with internal impingement than posterior capsular contracture. Coracoacromial arch stenosis is associated with subacromial impingement and unrelated to internal impingement. Bennett's lesion refers to exostosis or calcification at the posterior capsule and while potentially associated with overhead throwing athletes who may have internal impingement, a causal link between the two has not been established and therefore posterior capsular contracture is the preferred response. Moving on to the next question. Decreased risk of shoulder and elbow injury in a throwing athlete has been demonstrated with which of the following? And the choices are 1. Rotator cuff strengthening. 2. Superior labral repair, 3. Posterior capsular stretching, 4. Periscapular muscle strengthening, and 5. Repair of partial thickness rotator cuff tears. The correct answer to this question is 3. Posterior capsular stretching. Posterior capsular contracture has been demonstrated to significantly impair the ability of the humeral head to translate anterior and inferiorly during the late cocking and early acceleration phases of the throwing motion. This results in an obligatory posterior superior translation of the humeral head that may contribute to posterior superior glenohumeral internal impingement with posterior superior labral and articular sided rotator cuff pathology. Posterior capsular stretching in throwing athletes has been demonstrated to decrease the likelihood of clinically significant shoulder or elbow injury. Periscapular muscle and rotator cuff strengthening are important for optimal scapulothoracic rhythm stable scapular position for throwing, and rotator cuff function, but less directly established to result in a decreased risk of shoulder and elbow injury than posterior capsular stretching. Partial thickness rotator cuff repair and superior labral repair may be necessary for treatment of symptomatic lesions unresponsive to non-surgical management, but these do not necessarily correlate with decreased shoulder and elbow injury risk. Moving on to the next question. Internal impingement commonly occurs in overhead athletes and is very common amongst elite baseball pitchers. In which phase of throwing does this pathologic process occur? And the choices are 1. Wind up, 2. Early cocking, 3. Late cocking, 4. Deceleration, and 5. Follow through. The correct answer to this question is 3. Late cocking. So again, to quickly review, internal impingement refers to the impingement within the glenohumeral joint, which occurs as the posterior superior glenoid labrum makes contact with the greater tuberosity, causing impingement on the posterior rotator cuff. This occurs commonly among baseball pitchers during late cocking and early acceleration as the shoulder joint reaches its maximum external rotation. Dracos et al. studied internal impingement in overhead athletes. In their review, they describe how adaptations to throwing, including increased external rotation, increased humeral and glenoid retroversion, and anterior laxity all predispose these individuals to internal impingement. 
They recommend initial non-operative treatment with a focus on increasing the range of motion and improving scapular function. If this fails, surgical treatment should address micro-instability to ensure good outcomes. Moving on to the next question. Internal impingement is characterized by which of the following anatomic lesions? And the choices are 1. Subscapularis tear, 2. Bursal-sided rotator cuff tear, 3. Articular-sided rotator cuff tear, 4. Tight anterior capsule, and 5. Laxity of the posterior capsule. The correct answer to this question is 3. Articular-sided rotator cuff tear. So internal impingement is characterized by articular-sided partial thickness rotator cuff tears and superior glenoid labral tears. The capsule is characterized by laxity anteriorly and tightness posteriorly. Moving on to the next question. A 19-year-old left-hand dominant collegiate baseball pitcher has left shoulder pain with late cocking and early acceleration of the ball. His velocity has decreased over the past two months. Rotator cuff strength is normal, he denies symptoms of instability, and Hawkins' impingement testing is unremarkable. MRI with contrast reveals no intraarticular lesions. What is the most likely physical exam finding in this patient? And the choices are 1. Positive sulcus sign, 2. Decreased external rotation of the affected shoulder, 3. Positive speeds test, 4. Decreased abduction of the affected shoulder, and 5. Decreased internal rotation of the affected shoulder. The correct answer to this question is 5. Decreased internal rotation of the affected shoulder. So internal rotation contracture, otherwise known as GERD, which stands for glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, occurs most commonly in throwing athletes and is thought to be due to a tight posterior inferior capsule. It typically presents with pain while throwing and decreased velocity. Physical exam will often reveal increased external rotation and an isolated internal rotation deficit without further positive provocative tests. Sulcus sign testing is performed by pulling downward on the elbow or wrist with the shoulder in an adducted position and is usually indicative of inferior glenohumeral instability due to superior glenohumeral laxity. The speeds test, which is commonly used to evaluate for biceps tendonitis, involves positioning the arm in 90 degrees of forward flexion and the forearm in supination. The patient then resists attempts at pushing the arm downward with pain slash weakness being a positive test. Moving on to the next question. Mineralization of the posterior inferior glenoid has been implicated as a possible source of pain in which athletic population? And the choices are 1. Football players, 2. Swimmers, 3. Basketball players, 4. Rowers, and 5. Baseball pitchers. The correct answer to this question is 5. Baseball pitchers. So the Bennett's lesion is mineralization of the posterior inferior glenoid observed in overhead athletes. It is felt to be a traction spur of the posterior inferior glenohumeral capsule, which is repetitively stressed during the deceleration and follow-through phases of the throwing cycle. Wright and Paletta documented 22% of major league pitchers in their series had radiographic evidence of a Bennett's lesion, although none required surgical treatment. Moving on to the next question. The term internal impingement is used in throwers to describe a condition where the posterior superior glenoid labrum impinges on which structure? And the choices are 1. The anterior rotator cuff, 2. The posterior rotator cuff, 3. The anterior glenohumeral ligaments, 4. The posterior glenohumeral ligaments, and 5. The biceps tendon. The correct answer to this question is 2. The posterior rotator cuff. So internal impingement is seen in throwers with the arm in a cocked position of abduction and external rotation.
Often due to posterior soft tissue tightness, the posterior cuff impinges on the posterior superior labrum and is felt to contribute to slap tears and articular sided cuff tears. Moving on to the next question, which of the following anatomic structures are in contact with internal impingement in the throwing athlete? And the choices are 1. Humerus and posterior superior glenoid, 2. Humerus and anterior inferior glenoid, 3. Humerus and acromion, 4. Biceps and acromion, and 5. Rotator cuff and acromion. The correct answer to this question is 1. Humerus and posterior superior glenoid. So internal impingement occurs in the late cocking phase of throwing with humeral head abduction and maximal external rotation. It is a physiologic phenomenon occurring in 85% of patients undergoing arthroscopy for various indications in one study. Internal impingement is defined as impingement of the posterior superior rotator cuff between the humerus and posterior superior glenoid rim. Symptomatic internal impingement is felt to be due to the frequency and magnitude of the impingement in throwers. And moving on to the final question, a baseball pitcher has aching pain in the posterior shoulder after throwing. On exam, he has a 30-degree internal rotation deficit and is diagnosed with internal impingement. Stretching should focus on which aspect of the joint capsule. And the choices are 1, superior, 2, anterior, 3, antero-inferior, 4, inferior, and 5, postero-inferior. The correct answer to this question is 5, postero-inferior. So again, internal impingement is when the posterior rotator cuff pinches against the posterior superior labrum. It is implicated in the development of articular-sided rotator cuffs and slap tears. This patient has a glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, or GERD, which is felt to contribute to this pathology. Treatment is directed at posterior capsule and rotator cuff stretching. This is often performed with the sleeper stretch. The paper by Burkhart et al. reviews the pathoanatomy of the throwing shoulder and notes that the use of a prophylactic posterior inferior stretching program has been shown to decrease both GERD and subsequent throwing injuries. That's all for this review about internal impingement. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.